it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner and uh, Aaron Gobra. Happy uh, St. Paddy's Day to everyone. But uh, in addition to uh, St. Paddy's Day, or I should say whether it's St. Patrick's Day or not, it is uh, Wednesday, which means armchair politics coming up in about an hour. Political operative uh, Bobby Clayton Walton will be joining our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right for our weekly uh, two-hour breakdown of uh, with commentary and analysis of local state national uh, headlines in politics and current events uh, that'll be coming up in just a little bit but uh, this first hour joining me uh, by phone uh, my guest is a um, uh, senior fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. She is diversity scholar at the National Center for Institutional Diversity uh, for the University of Michigan, and she is the author of Homegrown Hate, 
why white nationalists and militant Islamists are waging war against the United States by Dr. Sara Kamali. And uh, she joins me by phone. Sara, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Hi, Tom. Hi, everyone. So, so glad to be here with you this morning. Um, you know, we have this impression, uh, Sarah, that somehow militant Islamists are a lot more organized and um, uh, regimented, um, even if informally, than white nationalists. Did you find something different about our impressions about these two groups in writing Homegrown Hate? Yes, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Um, there are quite a number of differences in terms of uh, white nationalists and, um, and militant Islamists. Uh, the book specifically looks at the American context, so looking at American militant Islamists and American white nationalists, and then also gives a, a transnational overview, um, because both of these ideologies are very much um, part of uh, other parts of the world. Um, but in terms of the American context and the organization, uh, militant Islamists, actually there aren't a lot of cases of militant Islamists. Um, within the United States. So not a lot of uh, Muslim Americans um, committing acts of terrorism um, in the affiliated with ISIS or affiliated with Al-Qaeda, as we traditionally think. Um, in terms of, so in terms of organization, I would say that militant, American militant Islamists are, are um, not as organized. There aren't any cells to speak of, and I know that that is a, that, that that was a very big buzzword um, post 9/11 for for quite a number of years. But we can tell with what um, what homegrown hate examines as well is that the 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 level of organization and the level of detail for century for decades, if not centuries, of white nationalism, which is very much part of the the founding of the United States, is quite. The organization of um, American white nationalism uh, is quite sophisticated and, and, and very well organized. Is there um, a, a, a clear structure with both, or um, mm -hmm. do these organizations, when you talk about waging war against the United States, um, mm -hmm. are, are they doing this in a concerted effort, or is it um, mm -hmm. all lone wolves, as we hear? Mm. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And actually, on the on the topic of lone wolves, I devote a, an entire chapter into dismantling it. So I call the chapter "The Myth of the Lone Wolf" um, for a reason. So essentially, both ideologies broadly have the concept of something called leaderless resistance, which is actually a white nationalist term started by uh, Louis Beam. Uh, de decades ago. Um, so that that idea was for a lone attacker. But what I argue in the book and what is clear from a lot of literature, um, well, as, as I detail in the book, but um, essentially the different types of media over time and particularly accelerated through social media really makes for lone wolves creating online dens. 
So there isn't really anything like a lone wolf, like one person carrying a pl- planning and then uh, carrying out an act of terrorism by him or herself. That that uh, is a fallacy. What we can say is that um, various media over time. So there's there's a quite a sophisticated network of of um, publisher publishing houses of um, uh, news magazines of periodicals of um, newsletters and more recently of course uh, various social media sites whether that's on the on the um, web as we know it or on the dark web which uh, some people have access to um, presents an opportunity to be organized and um, also learn uh, tactics and um, get ideas from other people. You know, we we see all too often a, a case where a an individual will commit a mass shooting of some sort um, mm-hmm. at a, at a shopping mall, or and we've even seen people you know driving cars through crowds and and um, seemingly carrying out terrorist acts by themselves and when the news reports come out we're we're sort of given to believe that these people were inspired by um, one of these groups whether it be white nationalists or militant Islamists are are these people that are are just a little bit off their rocker and and committing these acts copycats sort of do you understand what i mean by that i didn't ask yeah, it very yeah. well no 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 you you asked it perfectly well I, I i appreciate your question i appreciate the point of view um so with with mass murders for example which is separate from terrorism there are there's often the question of is it a copycat um like with the night stalker with the zodiac killer and affiliated affiliated um uh, deaths but terrorism is different in that it has a direct political uh, intention behind it so there's a political aim and that's what differentiates terrorism from other types of killing or other types of violence i should say now with car driving specifically, like we can see in Charlottesville in 2017, which is um, it's a car, driving through crowds in cars is a tactic that's prevalent amongst various white nationalists. Um, mass shooting is um, uh, more common, um, as we know now, with uh, militant Islamists, and that's for the whole Second Amendment rights. And that's, we can have that conversation in a little bit if you want. But um, in terms of a copycat, I wouldn't say that, actually. So the I just wonder if means, sometimes there are people yeah. who are prone to violence that mm-hmm. then when asked to explain themselves, borrow the agendas of one of these groups. Mm-hmm. Well, without knowing a specific maybe a specific case that you're thinking about. But I would say that the grievances that both sides have are very legitimate within their own respective worldviews. So it's not some superficial application that people are arguing. Um, you know, if we take the look at uh, the, the explanation for January 6th, people are, people are 
um, the, the defense teams that are currently mounting by many of those insurrectionists are are superficially blaming Donald Trump. But if one looks at the history of social media posts, which which we just discussed um, a few minutes ago, yeah, uh, and and the history of of what how they've been communicating with whom they've been communicating on what platforms they've been communicating, it's very much a real sense of of grievance. That's actually quite prevalent, I would say, on on. Uh, particularly amongst uh, white nationalists today. Is there something that has, uh, well, I guess let me ask it this way, um, Sarah. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. um, the white nationalists, and, and in particular since you brought up the January 6th uh, insurgents, um, mm-hmm. is there a point in time where these groups stepped into the spotlight it seems to me and maybe a lot of people listening that all of a sudden they're here like they just Mm. recently formed and you're saying no they've been around for a long long time but but Mm -hmm. how did they was there a moment in time when they stepped into the spotlight i'll just leave it at that sure um so let's see here there are different groups. The way I categorize the groups in homegrown hate, uh, the white nationalist groups, if anybody's wondering what, okay, so she's mentioning white nationalism, what does that actually mean? So white nationalism um, is the idea that white people should have a white ethno state. So whether that's the elimination of people of color or whether that's the separation of people of color um, uh, depends on on the group or the the individual. But essentially, it's the idea that because whiteness is inherently biologically and culturally superior, that white people deserve a white ethno state. And um, I will circle back to your your question in just a second, but in order to understand um, how long uh, white nationalists have been part and parcel of the United States and um, other other nations and parts of the world, like Australasia, for example, many parts of Northern and Western Europe um, that are longstanding white, uh, quote-unquote white, uh, majority white nations, um, are also dealing with a white nationalism as well, the same type of white nationalism and actually the same groups that the United States is currently facing. And uh, the, the book essentially breaks down white nationalism in the categories of purely racist, then there are certain religions and certain understandings of religion that also um, prop up this idea of the United States and other countries needing to be a white ethno state. Then there's the conspiracy theorist element, and then there's the anti-government element. And there can be a combination of of, of two or just by themselves, by the category by itself, or a mix of all four. Now, as far as how long Okay, so so the spotlight has been put on white nationalism since January 6th. Well, actually, and I detail this uh, quite a few chapters. I I hate to interrupt, but I have to go to a break here, and I do want to talk some more about this. Can you stick around for a few minutes, and we'll talk some more? Yeah, sure, of course. Excellent. My guest is uh, Dr. Sara Kamali. She is the author of Homegrown Hate, Why White Nationalists and Militant Islamists Are Waging War Against the United States. We'll have more right after this. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. (laughs) 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with our conversation about homegrown hate with uh, holistic justice activist and uh, scholar of systemic inequities, white nationalism, and militant Islamism, Dr. Sarah Kamali. She is the author of Homegrown Hate, Why White Nationalists and Militant Islamists are waging war against the United States. Uh, Sarah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, I, I enjoyed listening. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Um, but I, I cut you off when we went to break, and we were talking a little bit about the what in describing white nationalists and uh, militant Islamists are. And... I, I don't know if you want to pick up where you left yeah. off. Yeah, we can talk about the the why in terms of why why are people seemingly just hearing about all this or learning about white nationalism post January sixth. Well, p- parenthetically, can I ask because we see the terms yeah. um, inter uh, uh, woven. Um, is 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 there any significant difference between the term white nationalists and white supremacists? Um, it depends on who you ask. So if you're asking me, I would say most definitely because white nationalism is the overarching goal, and white supremacy is is um is a pillar of that goal. So white nationalism white nationalism is justified or the call for a white ethnostate is justified through white supremacy. Mm. But white nationalism is the, is the, is the um, umbrella term. So if white supremacy is the biological and cultural, the, the belief in the biological and cultural superiority of, of um, white people, then white nationalism is the, is the, um, the goal for white people, essentially, which is it's a broader term. You want to pick up where we were uh, yeah. talking uh, before so, the break? Yes, yeah, thank you, Tom. You, you bring up a really interesting um, question, and that's something that I've been asked a lot as well, is that, well, where has all this been before? Because one would figure if January 6th is such a pivotal, pivotal, mom- pivotal moment in the American democracy, um, it would, um, a lot of people are wondering why, they may not have necessarily heard about white nationalists uh, before January 6th. Um, and actually, I would say that it, it, it was because it was very much an underground um, uh, underground and very disparate movement. But white nationalism has always been part and parcel of the United States. So if you look at even, okay, so if we're connecting um, January 6th to uh, previous centuries of America, January 6th, the main, but a lot of the insurrectionists were also law enforcement and military members. Well, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, was founded by um, U.S. Confederate officers in the 19th century, and so there's always been there's always been elements of anti-government, white supremacy, um, racist uh, racist groups in the United States. Um, and then we have Christian identity, for example, which is a racist religion. It's an, it's an interpretation of Christianity that is very much based on um, uh, anti-black uh, racism as well as anti-Semitism. And that was um, 
that saw its peak in the United States in, in the 1980s. And then we move on to a different type of white nationalist group, which is also calling for a white ethno state. And um, that's a transnational movement uh, based on conspiracy theories called QAnon. So for the people who have been following this, um, following white nationalism in various iterations, it has been, it's been very much around. Um, in 2009, a uh, de uh, Department of Homeland Security report was released um, calling uh, Right, what was called right-wing extremism at the time, the greatest na greatest national security threat to the United States. So, um, it's it's while while white nationalism is now probably on the on the in the vocabulary of many people, um, the idea and the threat of white nationalism has has been um, part of the United States for a very long time. Sorry, you have called for changing the current counterterrorism paradigm in the mm -hmm. U.S. to one that's based on um, what you call holistic justice. Um, can, we, can we pull that apart a little bit? What is the counterterrorism paradigm currently in the U.S., and what should it be? Uh, these, are, these are really great questions. I, pre I appreciate the thoughtfulness um, behind them. Um, the, the current counterterrorism paradigm as we know it um, is essentially comprised of various federal agencies all the way tied to um, state agencies and local agencies. Um, the Department of Homeland Security, which is one of the central federal agencies, was um, founded after 9-11 to specifically address militant Islamism. Um, now we know that white nationalism is actually the greatest domestic security, national security threat to the United States. But these uh, agencies like Department of Homeland Security, like the DHS, as uh, a shorthand for it, is, is actually, they're not actually equipped to deal with white nationalism. So that, so the current counterterrorism paradigm is essentially focusing on people who are not necessarily a threat, but who are very much perceived wrongly as a threat, and that would be Muslim Americans and also uh, historically marginalized people of color. So we have a lot of surveillance of indigenous groups, of um, Latinx Americans, of uh, Black Americans, as we can see from the Black Lives Matter protests. If we compare the, uh, the law enforcement response to Black Lives Matter protests versus the law enforcement response of January 6th of the insurrectionists, um, at the U.S. Capitol, who managed to infiltrate it, we can see there's a great disparity in terms of how uh, people of color um, are are um, addressed by the counterterrorism paradigm versus white people. And so we can talk about how um, what holistic justice is and why I why I call for that in terms of or in terms of how how it can restructure um, these inequities. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. am curious about what you think needs mm -hmm. to be done, because, you mm -hmm. know, we had um, our former president, Donald Trump, 
um, thought it was important to national security to build a wall between Mexico and the United States and to to monitor uh, borders there we see in in movies and television uh, you know these images of national uh, law enforcement agencies capturing terrorists trying to get into the country that are up to no good and yet the book is called homegrown hate and and talks about you know hate that already exists within our borders um mm-hmm. so so let's let's pull that apart a little bit what what are we getting wrong in terms of the public perception of terrorism and um does hate exist everywhere and wherever it exists it's ultimately homegrown so the perception that we're getting wrong um, I would I would urge your viewer or urge your listeners um, to ask themselves if they know the name of any of the insurrectionists who uh, essentially perpetrated domestic terrorist attacks on the Capitol on January 6th. Do, do they know anyone? What can they name one person, or can they imagine one person's face other than the the shaman uh, who was wearing the Viking helmet and, and right. was very much featured um, and. If they can, well, then they've been paying an awful lot of attention and good for them. But most likely, most people cannot. And the reason for that is that the, because uh, to your point and to your question, that m- many people, Americans and around the world, are not necessarily accustomed uh, to envisioning or regarding white people as um, terrorists. And that's what we need to reconfigure is the public perception of what a terrorist can be. And um, and that, in hand in hand with that, is that rectifying this imbalance, um, not only in, well, in the media, like you were saying, you know, you see movies or you watch TV, um, and also in terms of um, in terms of media, in terms of how these how what what resources federally um, and throughout different levels of government are actually put towards um, uh, countering white nationalism as a domestic terrorist threat you know it's interesting bobby kennedy some decades ago wrote uh, a book Mm -hmm. called the enemy within which was largely about um organized crime Mm -hmm. and it 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 laid out the fact that there were these threats there were these dangers well within our uh, within our borders we've seen the rise and fall or at least the apparent rise and fall of the ku klux klan we had an incredibly bloody and and devastating civil war 150 years ago this idea of the the enemy within or homegrown enemies is not new Yes, it's not new. What what chances do groups like Black Lives Matter and and other groups um, and and even individuals and and uh, academics like you have of of combating hate when it seems to be um, indigenous? Well, um, 
there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things. And um, I know times, especially with the pandemic, uh, seem awfully dire and daunting now. Um, but as long as we're having these discussions and as long as people are willing to um, critically think for themselves um, and examine the facts for themselves, then I think that we definitely have a chance in countering this, especially um, given the new administration and Biden's focus on, um, he even stated that very plainly in his inaugural address, um, his focus is to to um, combat and effectively uh, diminish the threat of white nationalist uh, domestic terrorism. But that's really my point as well for holistic justice, um, because for anyone who cares about um, for anyone who cares about the state of America or just the state of humanity, I would say it's really a call for humans to recognize each other as human beings, and also to recognize um, that there needs to be solidarity amongst the different groups um, in terms of in terms of people of color, uh, recognizing their differences. Um, there's a lot of colorism within different communities. And also, on the other hand, in terms of specifically white nationalism, is to see white nationalism not just as racism, but as racism and other oppressions that are compounded by racism. So um, recently there was a U.S. Capitol Police officer who was found with, a, with an anti-Semitic tract um, it's called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and it's, it's basically a false document that was perpetuated um, around 100 years ago um, to say that Jews are trying to take over the world. And that's very much an anti-Semitic, um, anti-Semitic trope that continues today within white nationalism um, and is very prevalent amongst different groups and different, different threads of, of, of the ideology that I was explaining earlier. Um, so we can see that I think as long as um, people are understanding of the complexity of it and not willing to take um, media imagery at face value, um, then we very much um, we very much do have a, do have an opportunity to counter the counter the threat of binationalist domestic terrorism um, effectively. You know, in the, t- in the title of your book, Sarah, um, Homegrown Hate, yeah. Why White Nationalists and Militant Islamists Are Waging War Against the United States, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I wonder, and, and maybe this is just, um, you know, playing with words too much, but is it more a case of these groups waging war for the United States, for control, for example? Hmm. Yes. So that's an excellent point, and um, thank you for again asking a thoughtful question. And um, you're right to play with the semantics there. So that's actually something that I bring up in one of the chapters. Um, and the reason I say against the United States because I'm talking about their vision of the United States in terms of how they perceive it, because it's different than how they want it to be. So therefore, there's a con- there's a there's a there's an opposition. So hence the against. But in terms of you're right that they're 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 waging a war for the United States, but they're waging a war for the United States that they themselves want to envision. So um, I call it reclaiming the United States yeah. for the for the 
militant white nationalists. And then I call it, um, uh, well, essentially is for the United States, um, uh, for the militant Islamists, because they're trying to claim it for the first time, as I discuss in detail in the book. But you're absolutely right about um, the essentially pointing out that there are different visions for for the United States based on the differences of the ideologies. Does the United States actually exist, exist without <laughs> the groups that are waging war against it? Well, I think uh, all of your listeners will have a different idea about what America means. And, and it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that, too, because in this age of disinformation um, uh, and the age of conspiracy theories, which is very much an element of white nationalism, as we can see with QAnon, especially in various other um, groups, um, you know, even if we take the even if we take the idea of patriotism, a patriot. Um, to me, means someone who cares very deeply about the equity and justice for all, and we the people, meaning each and every group, um, including um, people of color and black people and indigenous people in the United States. So we the people, um, if you ask um, one of the insurrectionists at the Capitol, will have a very um, different understanding of what it means, what we the people means, and what what it means to be a patriot. Um, so... I think that that's ultimately why you know I use that subtitle in the book, and that was a, a subtitle throughout the years I, I wrote, um, throughout the years I researched and wrote this book, is because essentially that notion of America is what is being contested, as, as you rightly point out. Who is the United States um, <laughs> as, as we currently stand if it's not all-inclusive? Well, that if it's not all inclusive or according to white nationalists, you know, they would they rather not see people of color be part of the United States. But if you're asking me, then it, it um, the United States includes everybody of every every skin color. You know, we're all one human race anyway. Yeah, but that um, that is certainly the goal. But what mm-hmm. is the reality? Who is the United well, depends, States? Depends on who you ask. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, whenever you get into these academic discussions, there's the way it should be and the way it is. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it, are you asking, are you asking me as the, the person who wrote the book, or are you asking me for the opinion of white nationalists? I'm asking you as the person who wrote the book. Um, who <laughs> do you think that the United States best represents um, if it... Uh, if it isn't representing everyone? Well, I, I think it, I think the United States, when, when there's so many elements of, of, of unity and strength in unity and um, strength in diversity, even if we have e pluribus unum, which is the unofficial motto of the United States, for example, um, um, the United States, the concept does represent you know there there are obviously problematic elements of how the how the nation was founded, um, but ultimately there are aspirational elements and um, the call for you know in the pledge of allegiance for example liberty and justice for all has 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 meaning to it, and that means liberty and justice for each and every person, and that's not <clears throat> that's including again 
the people who have been historically marginalized by the very same country that they're citizens of. How can the United States uh, defend or create domestic security? Mm-hmm. Well, they need to actually recognize and take seriously the very threat that, um, well, I wrote about. Uh, right now, currently, the, you know, it's interesting um, to go back to your earlier point about, well, we're just, most people are just finding out about white nationalism. Well, also, it also is um, that realization of white nationalism, while many people um, within within uh, federal security, national security um, on the ground have called for it. Um, it's the ca- current counterterrorism paradigm does not really address white nationalism in terms of the federal resources being spent on it. So that's, that's being changed. So in order to effectively ensure domestic national security, uh, white nationalism is going to have to be taken seriously as a legitimate threat and resources, that means money and manpower and brain power, or I should say person power and brain power, um, need to be um, rerouted to um, examine and understand the full scope and the complexity of it. Do you think January 6th, the insurgency on the U.S. Capitol um, by white nationalists, do you think that that has... Um, brought the kind of attention that was needed? Has, has it awakened the justice system the way, for example, that Pearl Harbor brought the U.S. into mm-hmm. World War II? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, it, that's a really interesting parallel. Is it an important yeah. turning point uh, in, this, yeah. uh, in this war? Yes, yes, very, very much so. Um, finally have an administration uh, who's on board um, various levels of uh, various members of Biden's cabinet have addressed that. Um, Now, I can't speak for the future, but one would hope that future administrations would also uh, take this threat um, just as seriously, if not more so. And in order to in order to do that, um, again, resources are going to have to be rerouted from criminalizing people of color, uh, criminalizing historically marginalized groups um, such as Muslim Americans, um, and and focusing very much on the, the the complex constellation of groups and individuals who comprise this homegrown threat. And we're just about out of time, Sarah, and I can't believe mm-hmm. how fast the time has gone. We didn't even get to, to talk about the uh, attacks on Asian Americans. And, yes. You yes. know, and, and there's, there's just so much to this, and that's why mm-hmm. your book is so important, Homegrown Hate, Why White Nationalists and Militant Islamists Are Waging War Against the United States. Now, we just have about a minute left until we go to break, Sarah, but I want to I wanna thank you, Dr. Sarah Kamali, Uh, from University of Michigan, talking um, with us about her book and about these issues. But, Sarah, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Oh, thank you, Tom. Uh, First of all, I would like to thank you. It's a sincere delight uh, to speak with you this morning. Um, And thank your listeners for for joining in uh, on the conversation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Kamali, so S-A-R-A Kamali. Um, also, I have a website, it's sarahkamali.com, 
Um, you're free to message me there with any questions. And um, my book is available on uh, bookshop.org, uh, probably at your local bookstore. Uh, Majors and Quinn is one bookshop I know um, in the area that carries the book. Sarah, so we've got to end it there, but thank you so much. Yep. We'll have more. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program coming up right after this break. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, has become one of our most valuable tools. However, many Americans have complained that too much of the CIA's activities have been kept secret. Tonight, as a public service, we are happy to be able to present the secret head of the CIA who will answer all of your questions. To maintain the secrecy of his identity, he will be wearing a mask. How do you, how do you do, sir? My name, Jose Imana. <laughs> sir, you, you just told your name. What are you oh, going to do boy, now? Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do now? Well, I guess I'll just take off the mask. But first, I'd like to say something. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> Sir, as a... Uh, <clears throat> oh, boy, sir. they're going to really kid me about that back at the office, I think. <laughs> sir, First sir. time I had this mask off. Do I need to shave up here? No, no, no. It has been said that spies work for the highest bidder. Would you tell me if that's true? What's it worth to you? <laughs> I, uh, I understand that... Uh, when you're a spy, you use very tricky devices. Is that true? You understand that when you're a spy, you use tricky devices. Well, you see this cigarette that I'm smoking? Uh-huh. You see that? Yes. It's really a gun. <laughs> Come on now, you can't tell me that cigarette is a gun. Oh, yeah? How would you like a shot in the mouth? Mm-hmm. We also, among other things, use very... Cleverly concealed cameras. Oh, really? Sure. See this front tooth here? <laughs> see that? Yes, I that's, see. That's not really a tooth. That's a miniature camera. How does it work? Just press my nose. <laughs> and, and that'll take a picture? No, I just like people to press my nose. <laughs> Actually, my nose is a, a shortwave radio. <laughs> You work the camera by pulling in my left ear. What happens when you pull on your right ear? That turns on my nose. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's absolutely... Um... I think it's running now. <laughs> that's amazing, a camera in your tooth. Uh-huh. I can't even see the little hole. Well, that's because I was in the right half of the class. <laughs> How did you get an idea like that, having a camera in your tooth? Well, I had this film on my teeth. I thought, why let it go to waste? You know, Sir, I've heard that they do terrible things to gain information from captured spies. Oh, boy. You heard about that, huh? Yes. I tell you, they do. Oh. Do you know, one time, 
They captured me. And they took these bamboo things, they put them underneath my fingernails, and they lit fire to them. They were burning things under my fingernails. <laughs> and then they came and they hit me on the shoulders very hard, right there with the bony part where it really could hurt. <laughs> and then they punched me in the nose, and they punched me in the stomach. And then they took these pair of pliers, and they squeezed me all over the place. <laughs> and then they started to torture me. <laughs> Did you talk? No, I was too busy screaming. <laughs> you must have had some uh, thrilling experiences. Oh, I can think of one now. You know, one time I was on a plane, you know, and I had these foreign documents, and I saw on the same plane, right down just a couple of seats from me, still in first class, Yes. Oh. were a couple of foreign power people, you see? Yes. They were there. Yes. So I took these documents and I went into the laboratory but when I came out they caught me with the documents well why didn't you get rid of them well, there was a sign that says don't throw any foreign articles into the laboratory <laughs> so who would you say was the greatest spy in history the greatest spy in history was Ludwig van Beethoven I didn't know Beethoven was a spy you see how great he was <laughs> As long as we have you here in front of these microphones, uh, would uh, be all right with you if some of the people here in the audience ask you some questions uh, pertaining to the CIA. Would you answer all of their questions? Yes, I would answer all of them. Oh, that's very, very good. Happy, would you delighted. please uh, feel free to ask any questions you have? How can we get a job at the CIA? You have any experience as a spy? <laughs> Not yet. Are you married? You've had experience. <laughs> what should a spy do if he's caught behind the enemy lines? If you are caught behind enemy lines, all you have to do is give the name, rank, and serial number of every soldier in the United States Army, where they are billeted, and, and how many bullets they have. Otherwise, they'll give you such a clock you won't even know. <laughs> yes. Sir, what was the best kept secret of World War II? That it's still going on. <laughs> I mean, if you hear anything whistling, duck. Does the CIA have a theme song? Excuse me? Does the CIA have a theme song? Yes. It's over where? <laughs> yes. Uh, could you take our picture with your tooth? <laughs> yes. Here you go. How many copies would you like? Well, sir, in conclusion, uh, as a spy, uh, do you have a code? No, it just sounds like that because I got this radio in my nose. <laughs> yeah. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
can't tell me of a pie up in the sky Waiting for me when I die But between the day you're born and when you die They never seem to hear even your cry And this year the sun will shine I'm gonna get my fish out What's my hand? And then the heart does they come? How don't they fall when I know? And then the heart does they come? How don't they fall when I know? Well, the open sounds are trying to drag me down. Drive me underground And they think that they have got the better world I say forgive them, Lord, they know not what they've done And this year the sun will shine I'm gonna get my fist out, what's mine? And then the heart that they come Heart that they fall when I know
TomSumnerProgram.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>